Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. Hey, everybody. This is Tank Sinatra. You're listening to the Think Tank Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm glad to have you here. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a favor. Head over to iTunes and leave a review. I love reading them. And if you want access to the full archive with episodes such as Jesse Itzler, Dan Soder, Derek Huff, DMC, go to gasdigitalnetwork.com and use promo code TANK for two free weeks and access to all the other shows on the network. Enjoy the episode. Are they all here? All but one. Well, I'm going anyway. I'm the best at what I do. You're listening to the Think Tank Podcast. Look at the fucking smile on my face. With your host, Tank Sinatra. All right. Welcome to the Think Tank. Great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. So we have to say, sure. we're incredibly jealous of the setup. Because, you know, Tom and I also have a podcast, but we do not have... We play. This setup. This could all be yours. <laughs> okay, when? When do we get? Do, how soon can that happen? However soon you can move to New York and. Uh, no, no, no! Uh, you need to come to us. Oh, you want it mobile? Yes, that changes. It has things. to be mobile. This is not. I mean, it's in the bottom of a building. I know. It's I'll a very ask, cool place where you are. We're at Gas Digital right now, and you're in the Think Tank, which is my podcast. I'm Tanzanatra. I am. Excited and a little intimidated, to be honest, about what's you know what's about to happen right here. Because I usually have people on that I'm like you know, you know, like I what can't. Does that mean? I, have it's, no idea I'm, that I just means. like being stupid, <laughs> which we may get to. We may be yeah, stupid. I don't don't make too many assumptions. Yeah. So we have Tom and Christiana here. Yes. Who, from what I understand, are the architects of the Paris Climate Agreement. Is that accurate? Well, so we were at the UN and okay. we, our job was to – Christiana was the executive secretary and, yes, we worked for years to create the Paris Climate Agreement. But many other people did too. So you have a, a podcast which is called Outrage and Optimism. That's yep. Right. right? And I want to just tell people because we're, we're a little bit under time constraints here. If they don't get all the information they're looking for from this one, definitely go listen to the Outrage and Optimism on iTunes, Spotify. It's everywhere, right? right. Correct. Thank okay. you. So definitely check that out. And you have a book coming out. When is the, the book coming out? Yesterday. Where I have to time travel. Yeah, well, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry about that. You're, you know, you're not with the program here. I'm not. I'm, I'm scattered. <laughs> and what's the, what's the name of the book? The book is called The Future We Choose. So it came out yesterday. Yes. Uh, it was great. We had a great event yesterday in the New York Public Library. Beautiful. And in the book, what we do is we set out the two worlds that we are that we have potentially coming at us, right? The world where we deal with climate change and the world where we <sighs> don't. What it looks and feels like to live in that world and how we can make the right choice to create the world that we want rather than the sort of subconscious choice of going in the direction of the world that will be disastrous for everyone. Is it kind of like Neil deGrasse Tyson's book, Astrophysics, for people in a hurry? Is it like easy to understand? And It is very easy to understand. First of all, it's a short read, right? So okay. it's 120 pages. You can read it anywhere in three to four hours. Two long trips or, yeah. you know, four subway rides. Um, or 85-minute sessions before I fall asleep. Well, yeah, also, <laughs> also, yeah. Um, it's easy to understand. It's compact. It is science-based, but it's not heavy on science. It presents the science in a very accessible way. Um, and then it looks forward and says, you know, here's the choice that we're making. And it is not meant for climate junkies, okay? It is not meant for nerds. It is not meant for climate science. 
scientist. No nerds. You hear that, nerds? No nerds. <laughs> no nerds. For you. No. This is a book actually for, you know, admittedly educated, interested people who have kind of heard maybe there's something going on here called climate change, global warming. What the hell is that all about? Yeah. Um, and so it's a very, you know, easy book to a very complex subject. Yeah. So what's scary to me about climate change is that there are people out there who think that I'm just one person. I could as humans, they think it's arrogant for us to believe that we can have an effect on an organism so big, the planet Earth, whatever. And and obviously it's not one. I'm not I. I'm part of eight billion eyes that are all contributing to this problem. And they say the Earth will correct itself and it goes through cycles. And what I think they're missing or what I feel like they're missing is that the earth will correct itself. We just won't survive. And that's what we're trying to avoid. That's a very good summary of the book. Have you already read it? Apparently you did because you've just summarized it. No, but I want at to. least one part of it. You've I'm going summarized. to. <laughs> so so the, the world we choose, meaning the future we choose, the future we choose. Um, let's just talk to the people who are like, this is all BS and, and garbage. Why do you think people think that, first of all? Is it just because they don't understand it or because I understand why people who are involved in the oil industry or the coal industry, their job is at stake, their families and their livelihood is at stake. They have a reason to deny it. But for like the average person who just is not in that industry, for them to deny it, I'm confused by people's resistance to improving the planet and making it a healthier place to live. Do you have any like insight into that? So I think there's there's a range of things going on there. So the first thing to say is that it's not a controversial issue everywhere. In fact, in most places around the world, climate change is a settled subject. And people realize <laughs> that this is happening, I know, right? Yeah, 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 I know. That, it's, it is definitely worth a laugh, right? Yeah. That this country is such an it's exception. Crazy, yeah. Yeah. You know people here are arguing over whether or not the world is flat, right? Yes, We're yes, yes, that. yes. Well, that's where, I, that's where I was going to go next, right? I mean, we still have flat earthers. It doesn't stop the earth from it's being round. It's not still. Yeah, it's we've a, never it's left. Again, it's no, again. these people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think, again. things in yeah. America got so good yeah. that people started going into like, you know, centuries old issue, issues and saying, well, what if they were wrong? Right. In the, you know, the, the whatever, 15th century, yeah. whenever they discovered that the world was actually a globe. Yeah. So, so I just say well, two you, things. You just said yeah. it's so good. It, it, what did you say? Things are so good. Things are so good. They're creating yeah. problems. Well, that reminds me of my absolutely favorite science, uh, favorite sign at uh, a climate march, actually a science march in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago where we were participating. And I saw this gentleman who was maybe 75 years old marching with a sign that said things are so bad that even our extroverts have to come out to the Oh, introverts, yes! (laughs) Even us introverts have to come out to the streets. Yeah. So things are pretty bad with respect to science. I mean, this refusal, you know, to to not want to understand science. Is it they don't want to or is it they can't or... I think for the majority of people, even when it comes to using words that people prefer, their pronouns, uh, you know, racial slurs, religious, like, um, epithets. Like, people, it's very hard to think before you speak, and people just refuse to do it. So with something like this that's so much more complex than just not calling somebody, some gay person, the F word, that's easy. Climate change is, like, insurmountable to them. I don't think they can even think about trying to understand the yeah. depth of what's actually happening. I also think something weird has happened with climate change, with the politics of identity, right? You know, we're so about identity groups and yeah. we sort of identify ourselves in particular groups around politics, around a whole range of other different things. And because of how climate change kind of came into life here in the US, um, 
it has ended up being identified with certain identity groups, right? So liberal elites, those on the left of politics, etc. Actually, there's nothing about climate change that doesn't make it a fundamentally conservative issue, a fundamental issue that should be of concern to rural people. But because it's gotten baked into this identity polit- politics and people are so in their little tribes, it makes it hard for that to soften and for people to hear each other. I think that so, – so your book, I hope, and this podcast and your podcast and your mission – I, for as an American, I want to just assure you. I can't assure you. I'm going to make a number up. The the number, the percentage of people that are like full blown, all the way right, conservative, don't believe anything that is not on Fox News is very small. It's maybe ten percent, fifteen percent, which I think is small but generous. noisy. Small, small but noisy. It's just the way the 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 extreme left is very noisy. Right. So you're dealing with ten or fifteen percent on the extreme left, and then. 70% of people who could be convinced with a compelling enough argument. Yeah. And then you have the smaller group of people who will not believe anything you say no matter what because they think it's propaganda and you're paid for by George Soros and whatever. Right. Um, but what can, so this thing is real, obviously. that The consensus, according to the experts, the scientists and the people who have been studying it, what does it mean to be a climate change expert? Like what is it, what goes into understanding it? Well, I would say there is no such thing as a climate change expert because the fact is we are still understanding this. We are still studying it. We are still scientists are still emitting their projections into the future. So anyone who says they're an expert, they actually have not understood the complexity of this and the fact that science continues to be more granular and deepen in its understanding. So it's not like we are dealing with a topic that has been with us for years and years and years and Mm -hmm. therefore we understand it all. This is the first time in the history of humanity that we've ever been faced with this phenomenon. So we are struggling actually to even keep abreast of it. And every time that you have a scientific paper, they always say, oh my God, we understand underestimated the impacts of climate change. So we are still, you know, running behind and trying to understand. So, you know, if anybody says I'm a climate change expert, I And what what are the contributing factors? Cuz where like just from a, a bare minimum standpoint, carbon dioxide versus oxygen in the atmosphere, the population has exploded over the last few decades, right? Doubled right. over the last 100 years. Is that playing far more than that, right? 10x. Is, is is that playing into it at all? Just the f- sheer amount of humans breathing in oxygen and, and emitting carbon dioxide, or is it cars and farming? Like, what what are the biggest contributing factors to climate change? So, so there's one thing that's really worth. Understanding. And what does climate change mean? I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off. Just yeah, sure. Because I I don't even know if I yeah, know. Yeah, one or one. So there's there's one thing really worth understanding, which is that there's a carbon cycle just in our lives, right? So trees will absorb carbon, then when they when they die, they will re-emit that carbon into the atmosphere, and it's kind of always cycling back and forth. Wait, I'm sorry. They they trees take in carbon, and then when they die, they re-emit it. How? Exactly. By yeah. breaking down and they break yeah, down, and that fermenting. then re-enters the atmosphere. Okay. Right. Um, so we need to kill more trees is what you're saying. That's right. <laughs> no, we need to grow more trees, grow right? Grow more. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah. we Which need it, them to absorb yeah. carbon out of the, out of gotcha. the air. Which is part of the solution. <laughs> and but that's photosynthesis? Photosynthesis. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're reaching to, back into sixth yeah. grade. I went to sixth grade. But there's also huge stores of carbon, which are dead life forms, which are trapped underneath the Earth's surface, right? Which are carbon that used to be in the atmosphere that then got trapped for millions of years. Under and that's the dinosaurs, the yeah. dinosaurs, old trees, And that's fossil that. fuels. That's what fossil fuels are. That's oil. And that's coal. It's old life forms that have been trapped under the surface of the earth. So when we dig those up, we're taking carbon that's been trapped for millions of years away from the atmosphere and we're loading it back into the atmosphere. And that's what adds more carbon. When we breathe, 
it's kind of part of a natural cycle, right? You know, yeah. we breathe out carbon dioxide, the trees breathe it in, they breathe out oxygen. It was balanced for most of the history of the planet. But now that we're releasing these ancient stores of carbon back into the atmosphere, that's what's upsetting the balance. Yeah, very quickly, exactly. So things that were alive millions of years ago yeah. died and were buried yeah. with carbon in them. And became fossil fuels. And digging them up and burning them into the atmosphere rapidly is what's doing it. Yes, exactly. you got it. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was delightful to talk to you. Can we have some coffee? <laughs> wow. So that's that's how simple it is. Yeah. All right. So so what can we do? Like, what can the average person do to to combat this aside from protesting? Because I I have my own. I mean, I'm. I feel like protests and awareness don't do as much as people would hope. They get a feeling of doing something. People tweet something out. They say, you're doing the wrong thing. I'm doing the right thing because I'm in my home and tweeting at you and making you feel worse for doing something that you were. I mean, we were all born and raised with cars and, and planes as part of everyday life. Right. right. What is the option to just not drive? Is I mean, in most parts of the country, that's not really an option unless you want to completely change society and go backwards to like tribal times, which I don't think anybody's willing to do. No, we're, we're, we're not saying that at all, right? That is just a, a non-starter to go back to cave times. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're actually talking exactly about the contrary. We're talking about growing an economy uh, that is definitely much cleaner, much more efficient, much more in service of the human being rather than in service of the machine or the infrastructure. So we are changing the logic of economic growth growth. It is not about stunting economic growth. Mm -hmm. It is about being able to continue to grow, especially in developing countries that have not reached their peak of economic growth, yeah. but do so in a much more responsible way. So it's actually pretty exciting. It's pretty cool. Honestly, decarbonizing the economy, which sounds like a big old word, is actually pretty sexy, if you ask me. I think so. I'm turned on. Well, there you go. What are you doing? We know that you're doing stuff. Well, I, uh, I'm of the mindset. I was born and raised in Long Island where driving – in Manhattan, you don't have to drive. But there's a whole other bunch of em Issues, emission yeah. problems coming out of Manhattan. Like Manhattan's just – it's a busy place. I think anytime you get too many people together in one spot, there's going to be problems that are just – most of my problems are from – based on having to deal with people, whether they're interpersonal or – you know, I run into somebody who's rude. Now I feel bad. And then I, in turn, make my kids feel bad or my wife or the next person I see. So people are problematic, but individuals have to realize that they have autonomy over how they act. I recently, <clears throat> and I think I, I told you I'm having James Wilkes on later, the guy who wrote uh, and directed and starred in Game Changers. And I finally, finally understood how eating meat and eating animal products affects the environment. Hmm. He and affects you, which is even more immediately important. Well, that's what I liked about the movie. I liked the, I liked the fact that he didn't, and I'm not, I'm a good person, okay? But we believe you. I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> You've always got to be suspicious of someone who says I'm a good person. I'm a good, I'm an angel. No, but I, I honestly have a, a hard time connecting the suffering of an animal with the package of meat in the supermarket. I just, it's like, Well, everything's designed to mean you don't connect them, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, the, so the vegan documentaries or, you know, uh, movies that are all based on the suffering of the animal, it's like I wind up just feeling bad and then because I feel bad, I want to eat my feelings away. What do I eat? A steak or a chicken sandwich? It's like, it's sick. He was like, no, 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 your, your um, health. Your health and your yeah. well-being and the way you feel 
is more important. And he kind of like went into the vanity of the human being and said, if you want to feel good and look better and live longer, here's what you should do. But when he called animals middlemen for protein in the movie, and he said it takes six times the amount of uh, vegetable protein than the yield of the actual cow to make it like to, to have it live and get to a point where you can eat it. I was like, oh, okay, I understand. So inefficient, yeah. It makes sense. Why am I going through the cow to get the meat, to get the protein when I really do want the macronutrient protein to be healthy and build muscle? Why do, why do I have to go through the cow to get it? And I was like, something clicked. I was like, oh, okay. I so do you feel better now that you are not eating animal-based food? It's not even close. It's not even- Not even close, which nice. way? Like I have like a new set of joints and tendons and bones and everything. I do jujitsu and- it's very like inflammation from animal products or from anything, sugar, dairy, whatever. <clears throat> when you're physically exerting yourself, it hurts even more. So I would like finish jujitsu and I would take my gi off and I couldn't take my gi off. I would have to have somebody like pull it off because wow. my shoulders and elbows were so inflamed. I watched that movie on a Tuesday, Tuesday night, Wednesday, no meat, but I had eggs in the morning. Um, Thursday, nothing. By Friday, I went to jujitsu, and it was like there was no pain anymore. I did 30, wow. 30 pull-ups after the class. It was a huge difference. That's amazing. Very that is thing. amazing. Yeah. That impact is so amazing. But it's a very good example, right? And I know it's anecdotal because people will say, oh, well, you know, you're different. Like, that's my experience. I want to yeah, be careful to say experience. that because people can, you know, they'll mm. say, well, that's your experience. Well, yes, it is my experience. Right. How can you speak for anybody else's <laughs> I'm experience? just telling you what but, but it's illustrative of what we're saying, right? Actually, addressing climate change is not about going, uh, turning into cavemen again. Yeah. It's actually about much better health for us, much better enjoyable and healthy conditions for cities that we live in mm -hmm. much much better economy more efficient economy it's all about doing better doing what we do but doing it better it's not about sacrificing any of the you know creature comforts that are healthy for us yes we will have to sacrifice some creature comforts that are totally unnecessary like what but honestly well I don't think that we need four cars in the garage yeah do we? No. And yeah, I, people are gluttonous. We, I mean, the, it, as soon as you get the means to be a glutton, everyone turns into a glutton. People, people hoard, and they some people, not all people, mm. but there are people who. I mean, greed is a human thing that's uh, built into us. I think it serves some purpose, but people definitely uh, they let it get too far. Mm. But so, so having four cars in the garage. You, you're not saying driving four cars because you can't drive them. So is driving the problem, or is ownership and consumerism? and waste the problem. Well, I think both, right? Consumerism, yeah. I mean, a, a thoughtless consumerism yeah. is definitely leading to all kinds of conditions that are not sustainable. Um, and driving for cars is also unsustainable. Unless they're all electric and you have, you know, absolutely clean electricity. But even then, even then, having four cars, what it actually does is feed that limitless consumerism thinking that we're having um, that we have to change. We have to be able to get to the point not of sacrificing but understanding when is enough enough. Yeah. We just don't ask ourselves that question. And when is it so, – so one of the questions that I had going into this is when is it – I have a problem with completing tasks that have no deadline. Where it was just like a would be nice if I get this done, if I write this I book, agree. if I do this project. Having a deadline, set, like I, I, when my son was born. Which is when? Seven years ago. Okay. 
when my wife was pregnant, I gained more weight than my wife when she was pregnant. I got way out of shape. Is that out of solidarity or out of what? <laughs> Fear. I was eating. <laughs> no, it was just like she's she's so healthy and she's so like she has such a handle on moderation. I will eat a little crazy on like a Saturday night or a Sunday. I'll be like, all right, whatever. Um, but like Tuesday afternoon, we'd be driving home from a doctor's appointment. I'd be like, you want to get Wendy's? And she'd say, yeah. So it was like her just me dragging her down and her like allowing herself to be dragged down. But then I took it too far. So I signed up for a bodybuilding competition uh, in in November, and it was like, that's it. Like, there's no more messing around. It's like like the average person will schedule a vacation and then say, oh, vacation's in two months. I better get in shape. And then the week goes by, and then another week goes by. Then it's two weeks, yep. and they're like, okay, Been I there, have to done not that. eat yeah, yeah. for two <laughs> weeks. And then before you know it, you're on vacation and you're fat. Like, I've done that before, too. So that's what I feel like is happening here, because they've been talking about climate change for decades at what point should we take it seriously and why? Well, I mean, to the degree that deadlines help us now, yeah. you know, we've got good news because this is it. You know, for a long time, we've known we're getting to the point where if we don't take serious action, then the opportunity to actually change the trajectory and still create the world we want is going to close. And the 2020s is the decade in which we have to do it. We have to halve our emissions between now and 2030, fully 50% around the world. If we don't do that, then our chances of actually creating the future that we want to create will begin to recede. And what does that look like, the future that we don't want? Well, so we set that out in the book, right? And, yeah. and, and we've, been, we've been thinking a lot about how What's the ocean level going to rise six yeah. inches? Who cares? Well, well you know, I'm, I'm playing the other side. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So ocean level rises. Yeah. Oceans acidify and huge amounts of marine life die. We lose all the coral reefs. We lose the ability to kind of get fish from the ocean. And how does that happen? How does yeah. the ocean acidify from... Well, as so carbon dioxide is acidic, right? So that goes into the atmosphere and it get, gets absorbed into the ocean. So okay. then the, acidi the acidic level of the ocean is going up and up all the time, which is having a terrible impact on marine life. Yeah. But also, I mean, now, sadly, if you look around the world, you can see little early signs of what that life would be like, right? And is the acidity of the ocean affecting the... the um, ocean life's food source or is it actually affecting their bodies from absorbing the water into them like how do, what's what's That's happening a good question there? how do you know the chemistry of how it's affecting like because i know that schools of fish are turning up on ocean yeah you know on on ocean beaches and they have no idea why even though like they they kind of you're saying they do know why well so the acidification of the ocean just changes the habitat right so it changes the ability of certain types of marine life to live as they always have so to some, absorb oxygen to absorb oxygen so yeah. so it's kind of it's suffocating the oceans but i was actually the reason why i wasn't paying oh. attention sorry tom i wasn't paying <laughs> any sorry, attention to what's the real problem yeah. climate change <laughs> the, the reason why i wasn't paying attention to your conversation is because when you asked you know what does it look like i actually think that we should walk listeners through what is daily life going to be like okay do it um because you know yes the oceans but it, it, that may be too far because it is going to be gradual right well, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, ask the you know Australians whether those fires were gradual. Oh fuck yeah! Okay, I yeah. mean, twenty percent of their territory burned. One billion animals burned to death. One million, one billion live animals burned to death. Billion, billion animals. And half the problem is people don't even understand what a billion is. Well, that's they true. can't fathom how many zeros does that have. But. Ugh. um but but I you know one thing that we do in in the book that is deliberately provocative is we have two chapters that stand in contrast to each other, and the two chapters are what is our daily life going to look like in two thousand and fifty, 
under scenario one, mm-hmm. which is we don't do what we are supposed to do and we just continue on our merry little irresponsible way. Yeah. And scenario two, this is the life that we can create for just any normal citizen. Mm-hmm. So that might be helpful to summarize. Sure. So under scenario one, 2050, your child will be 37. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yeah. Okay. So um, under that scenario, you or your child, son? Son, yeah. Son, will not be able to walk out of your house unless you're wearing a mask because the air is going to be so polluted that it's actually going to be life-threatening to you. In America or all over the world. Anywhere in any city. Yeah. Okay. Um, You may be able to walk from one place to the other, but you will not be able to exercise outside because the heat is so overwhelming. You will also not be able to play outside because the heat is so overwhelming. All the food that is produced will likely come from farms that are under roof and are under controlled irrigation and temperature Mm -hmm. because outside will be too arid and too hot to produce food, meaning food prices will soar. You will likely not be able to, what else do we want to add to that, Tom? I don't want to leave you And and how hot are we talking? Because I know that some of the arguments, like people will say our president who, whatever, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to comment, but he said, like, it was 30 degrees today. Like, how could global warming be real? Like, people are that dumb where they think if it's cold even for a day in one area of the world, that climate change is a hoax and the whole thing should be disregarded wholesale. So are we talking about, like, round the year, round year like, year-round hot temperatures in places where it's not cold now? Like, in yes. Russia, it's like... 75 and sunny all the time. Hawaii is just burnt to a crisp. What yes. is it actually? I, I mean, I just came back from Antarctica four days ago. Yeah. The temperature in Antarctica was the same as Hawaii. Check that one out. Sounds beautiful. <laughs> well, it's not. <laughs> I know. It's horrible. It's horrible. Um, and, you Antarctica know, is south or north? South Sorry. Pole. Okay. Um, but the North Pole is also getting very hot. But, you know, when you have heat conditions that get to make large swaths of Africa, of Asia, of Western United States, of Australia uninhabitable mm-hmm. because it is so hot. We're talking about 140 degrees sustained oh 30, 40 days in a row. Okay. Then you get to the point where every day you will be looking at news that actually shows you millions of people on the march migrating out of their homes, not because they want to, mm-hmm. but because they can't survive. They can't survive the heat. They don't have water in order. They, they don't have water to sustain themselves. And they how many can't people died food. during that march? Well, millions. and how many yeah. how many millions of people will be displaced? And how are you going to contain these masses? With, and with how no are you, opportunity ever to return home. That's what's different. No opportunity to return home because this will be sustained. And can you imagine the political and economic conflicts that will erupt at all boundaries and all borders of countries because you will have millions of people 
migrating toward the few spaces on the planet in which it's still inhabitable. This is this is 2050. This is still within your lifetime. And it is the point at which your son is going to be supposedly at the peak of his professional performance. He's going to have to deal with that. Yeah. How fun is that? Yeah, there's, uh, do you know who Tim Ferriss is? He's an author. He wrote The 4-Hour Workweek. He talk, I, I don't think it's his theory, but he, ha, he talks about this theory in his book, so I attribute it to him of like civilization is just 72 hours away from total destruction at any given moment. And I, I was interested by that, but I hadn't seen it. And I actually saw that Hurricane Sandy, Long Island had two very, uh, Long Island, New York, this area had two hurricanes, Hurricane Irene and Hurricane Sandy year after year, two years in a row. And Irene was the first one. Sandy was the second one. When Sandy happened, within like it was probably was I think it was less than seventy two hours because the power was off, water was shut off, gas was not coming in. People couldn't get generators. Their houses were freezing. They couldn't do anything. No hot water. People have kids. Whatever milk is going hospitals. Bad in the fridge. There was people were pulling guns on each other at gas stations for two gallons exactly. of gas. Mm-hmm. So yeah. civilization really is not – we like to think we're beyond that and we would figure it out. When, you're, when your baby is screaming for milk or water – You'll do anything. Just like any caveman would. Absolutely. That's really what we are. We're just – Absolutely. We, th- we will protect our children. We think we're removed from it because we're yeah. so comfortable, but we're really not. So what you're talking about is a reversal of that and a total upheaval. We're, of- we're talking about actually avoiding that scenario, right? Because we don't want that scenario for your son. Nope, so yeah. we also – and nobody does. Nobody wants this. So we also paint a very different scenario, okay? If we're able, as Tom said, to cut 50% out of our current global emissions by 2030, and that's 10 years from now. So honestly, we can do this. Then we have a very different scenario for your son. Now, he walks out of his house and actually the air is moist and fresh. He can fly. He can actually, you know, walk out and feel like he's walking in a forest because it, he better probably than is. It is now or? Much better. Much better because we won't have the air pollution that is now killing 7 million people around the world because we will have clean air. And we will have cities that are enjoyable because they have green spaces and many more trees. And we won't have as many stupid cars that belong in the museum. Internal combustion engine, put it in the museum. Yeah. And we will have much better transportation, much more efficient transportation. We will have parking spaces and parking buildings that used to park cars. They are actually going to be turned into vegetable gardens, flower gardens, rooftops will be producing vegetables and flowers. We will have actually cities that are built and designed and enjoyed by people as opposed to cities that are designed for roads, cars, and bridges. A very, very different... So what are you talking about? Trains? High-speed trains, non-emitting planes, very few... um, owned cars because vehicles, whatever they will be called by then, um, will be shared. They'll be smart. You know, you call. Transportation is already in the process of becoming a service rather than an ownership good because we're already moving toward actually needing the service. I need to transport my stupid body from point A to point <laughs> B, right? And and when you have to transport yourself, you don't have to own the four the four wheels. You just ask for the service and we're already moving in that direction. But we have to move much more. So you're saying and what you're saying is interesting because I'm thinking about my car sitting out there right now in yeah, a parking lot. Do you spot. know do Could you be- know what the statistical what the statistics is of how much we use a car that we own? 10% of the time. Yeah. I mean, it's stupid. What do you do with the car the other 90% of the time? 
Etc. Ja, voilà. Waste. Oui, oui. <laughs> so this is not like, I think what, what part of why people resist it is A, they don't understand the science or the, the, the cause of it, but they don't understand the solution either. And they don't understand how much better we can have our life be, right? Yeah. How much better. That's the point. People think that we're trying to squish them back into the caves. No, we're actually moving toward a much better world that has much higher quality of human life. That's the exciting. That's why I call it sexy because it's an exciting life. Well, having uh, walking outside of my house and feeling moist air like I'm in Hawaii feels sounds great. Right? Because that's not what it is now. No, exactly. That's so interesting. And so why do you think who's leading the charge on this? Like which which countries are doing the best with the uh the climate change? Reversal or whatever. I mean, the truth is, there's leadership everywhere, right? I mean, about half the world's GDP. So half the world's, you know, productive assets, like whoever's making stuff, is covered already by a target to reach zero emissions by 2050. Yeah. So that might be a company, it might be a city, it might be a country, um, and they're, they're they're charging forward. They're doing this stuff already. Even in the U.S., there's an enormous amount of momentum behind cities and businesses and others. Didn't who are our doing this. president pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement? Yeah, he will do so. Yes, yeah. the but, day after the election. But that doesn't mean that the he U.S. will do so. What? Pull out of the Paris Agreement the day after the U.S. presidential election. Didn't he do it already? No, he oh, hasn't. He's he has been he's been threatening to do it, but legally he can't do it until that day. Oh, well, that that changes things a little bit. But that doesn't mean that the U.S. has done nothing, right? Actually, there's been huge amounts of action going on in the U.S. Now, it needs to go further and faster. Yeah. And so, and what are we talking about as far as, like, replacing fossil fuels? You're talking about solar panels, wind energy, water. Like, what is, and and is it cost prohibitive to, is it a big outlay up front? Because when I bought the, the electric vehicle, it was a very expensive car. But... I saw it as savings on maintenance, savings on gas, and more importantly, savings on buying a new car because apparently these things last like a million miles. An average combustion car lasts like 100,000. You start to get a little sketchy on it. There you go. So not only is that longer lasting for me, that's 10 cars that won't have to be made, produced, and sold in that one one vehicle. And 10 times that you don't have to go and do maintenance per year on your car. Oh, yeah. Because it doesn't have as many moving parts. Yeah. And it's more silent. So it does feel it's much more enjoyable. It feels expensive, but it's cheaper. Well, it's less and, expensive. And and also you have to understand that all of these technologies, because they're new on the market, they're at the top of their value. Yeah. So renewable energy has never been as expensive as it is now. Yeah. Because it will continue to reduce. Electric cars have never been as expensive as they are right now. All of these new technologies are at the top of their cost right now. Yeah. As compared to the future. They've actually already come down. Renewable energy has come down eighty percent in the past ten years. Wind energy, solar energy, it's all come down. Batteries are, because we have to store this energy, are expensive now. They will come down also. Yeah. So the fact is, eventually, here's the fun thing to think about this. Eventually, we will have ubiquitous, that means energy that exists everywhere. It's going to be clean and it's going to be so cheap that it could be getting down to cost zero. Why? Because... Everyone who sells you energy now has to dig up that stuff, those dinosaurs, right? Mm -hmm. Transport it, produce it, manufacture it, and get it to you in some way. So they have to recuperate those costs. 
Now, tell me if the wind is ever going to send you a bill for wind energy. Is the sun ever going to send you a bill? There is no cost to that fuel. Fossil fuels, oil, we always say, oh, my God, is the price of oil going up? Is it going down? Da, 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 da. It's completely unpredictable. Um, and it's always guaranteed to have a cost, always. But is that Whereas, why people are not getting into it, you think? Because there's no money to be made? No, there is a lot of money to be made. There is a lot of money to be made. You ask everybody who's producing renewable energy, they're actually doing very well. But they're producing the means to harness the renewable energy, not the energy itself, which means that they only make money once on it. And people, as you know, as we went over, are greedy and needy. So there will be there will need to be new business models, right? But we're perfectly capable of making money in all sorts of different ways. It doesn't have to be that old utility model where you just sell power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's other ways to do it. Okay. Can I try an analogy out on you? Because you said you really liked the idea that animals were protein intermediaries. Yeah. So fossil fuels. Well, I said middlemen. I don't middlemen. know. What okay. Right. Right. Fo yeah. <laughs> so fossil fossil fuels like oil is like an energy middleman. Yeah. yeah. Right. Very so true. it gets captured and put underground, and then we burn it to get the energy back up. Yeah. So it's super inefficient, whereas solar and wind are direct. direct. Oh, we really need to get like get on track here. Yeah. yeah, it's direct energy delivery. When you put it like that, it does Onto sound your very roof. stupid. And it's for you. I mean, honestly, we will have we will move to the point where all buildings and all homes generate their own electricity because we will be capturing the energy from the sun, from the wind, and we will generate our own electricity. Do you think that they'll get better? Because from what I understand, like I, I, even when I was a kid and solar energy was being talked about 20 years ago, even maybe even more, I didn't understand. I didn't understand why they wouldn't like just put solar energy out in the desert, catch all of it, and then um, send the electricity. It's apparently it doesn't travel well. Is that the problem? The electricity doesn't travel through a, a cable well. It degrades and loses. No, potency. I don't. I think there's ways of doing that, and I think that is happening in certain places and certainly massive, great offshore wind farms. Right? Is how where I come from in the UK, loads of energy is produced like that. So I think we'll see innovation in that direction for sure, as well as rooftop solar and every house having. It. Like the and there, that, there are many yeah. desert areas actually that are being converted into what we call solar farms. Oh, they are. Yeah, and the, that technology. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. And that technology is called concentrated solar, right? Because what you do is you have a huge concentration, huge thousands and thousands and thousands of solar powers that are actually concentrated and through a set of mirrors and reflective devices, they concentrate all of that solar energy. So that's when you want to get, and in fact, there is in Texas a concentrated solar power that has the level of electricity equivalent to a nuclear power plant. So you can get to that level of electricity. You don't have to. That's the wonderful thing about renewable energy. You can get to that level of electricity if you need to, but you can also have a single little solar panel on every single little hut in remote Africa producing energy for that home. So you can go the full gamut from individual need to hardcore industrial need. You can't do that with fossil fuels. Yeah, because the, the renewable solar power and wind power, I feel like electricity, if I'm not mistaken, also comes from fossil fuels, right? Right yes. now? Yes. Does it come from the same fossil fuels that oil comes from, or is it yes. a different one? Oh, it is? You're, you're dinosaurs. Because I feel like we'd run out of that, too. Obviously, we well, have to we, figure out Well, unfortunately, we have a whole bunch of that stuff still there. What about when the sun runs out, though? But here's the point. <laughs> Here, here's the point, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> we didn't move, right, from horse and buggy over to the automobile because we ran out of hay. Yeah. So, you know, to say that we have to wait until we run out of fossil fuels to move over to renewables is nonsense. We That's... don't have to wait for the 
end of that resource to move beyond it. So when people were driving horse and buggies, yeah. the con- the combustion engine was created and people used that because it was better. Yes. Not because they ran out of hay. Exactly. So Same logic now. So what you're saying is that electricity, renewable energy is it's better. better. It really does sound better. I do understand. I did not. I honestly thought I was going to leave this podcast just as dumb as when I walked in. And I am. But I understand more why this thing is such a big deal. You're still confused only at a higher level? Yeah, I'm much more confused. (laughs) (laughs) With some acronyms starting there. No, I I can't wait to read this book. Yay. I'm really excited to read the book because I think – I like reading, first of all. Second of all – um. It sounds like you guys explained it in a way that makes it not only understandable, but attainable. That's part of like, so the only analogy I have to use for this is my sobriety. So I got sober in a program that is pretty hardcore. What I look for in people that are new in the program is, do you have the problem? Do you think we've solved it? Do you think you deserve the solution? Hmm. That's the big thing. Because yep. it's, it's, it's not just, is there a problem? Yeah, there's a problem. People who deny there's a problem are obviously way behind right um we have to believe the solution will work and we have to believe the solution you guys are posing or the climate change people are. and you have to believe in yourself and know that you have what it takes inside of you to go through that program successfully right because if you go into that are we talking about yeah okay so if you go into yeah well so if you go into you say, yeah, 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 okay, I admit that I'm an alcoholic, but actually I don't think I have what it takes. Well, you ain't going to get anywhere. Yeah. You go there and you depend on collective wisdom. That's why you go to people meetings. People who know better you know, than you. Because you, there are people who know better who are going to support you and who collectively will contribute to the success of everyone. Same thing with climate change. We as individuals are not going to solve this, but we have to have the confidence that we have the wherewithal to collectively get to the destination point that we that science has established for us. Yeah. Same thing. It is a very good analogy. And not only are you saying that it's it's necessary, but it's be- it would be nicer and better for everybody. Well, is your plan. life not better now that you are a? Oh yeah. Uh, you, you don't drink alcohol anymore. You have an electric car and you don't eat any meat. Aren't you a better, happier person? Oh, I tell everybody how much better I am than them. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is a there is a battle of improving things while mm-hmm. still desiring better for yourself, not for um, and for any others. other reason, just because like it's better. It's better. But it's exactly. scary. Well, it yes, scary anything unknown is scary. But honestly, it's worth it, right? Oh, it's yeah. It's worth it. Uh, the, the picture you're painting sounds delicious. Yay. That moist air. Awesome. Really like, when I pictured the two things you were talking about, because I can see, <clears throat> I mean, in China, a lot of times, you know, obviously the, the air over there is unbreathable and they can, they really. Which is why they're closing cold plants. Yeah, it's this, but it's too many people. It's like a billion people in one planet, all try, or one country, all trying to eat, all trying to work, all trying to get to work, all trying to get to food. It's a lot. And we need something. I think renewable is obviously, it seems like really the only 
sustainable option. So they agree with you. That's why China is the highest investor in wind energy, in solar energy, in electric vehicles, in battery technology. They get it. Um, because they get it. Yeah. They know that their people need that. Their people are actually clamoring for that. And they also are doing it because they want to be competitive. They know that in the 21st century, those are the products and services that are going to be on high demand. And they want to be ready to produce for the world. Yeah. And the United States should get a little message from that. Yeah. Because that is where demand is going to grow. That's what the United States should be focusing well, on. Well, our president thinks that wind turbines kill birds. He's not the cancer. Sh- sharpest tool. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the man in charge is, you know. And that's really sad for the U.S., right? Because what's going to happen sad. is the U.S. is going to miss out on all the amazing economic opportunities that come from this huge transition. And China is moving forward on this already, right? So yeah. it's, you know, it's it's kind of funny, but it's kind of heartbreaking for, for, for people in the U.S. who, who need the benefit of this massive transition we're going to go through. Well, maybe we can have somebody read him this book because from what I understand, he doesn't read. <laughs> I want to thank you. Uh, <laughs> there is an audiobook version. Go. I'm going to be killed. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for coming in. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for taking the time to understand things and explain them in a way that's understandable to the average person and for painting a yeah. picture of no, thank you. the thank future you we much. choose. Um, you want people to find you on social media or just the book? That'd be great. See for Garris. And I'm Tom Karnak. And the podcast that we run again is called Outrage and Optimism. We do that, put that out every week. We explain these issues in a super simple way. We've had, you know, politicians and musicians and a whole range of other people on. So anyone who's interested in learning. And it's a very fun podcast. It's not as serious, you know, tear jerking. It's actually quite fun. Almost as fun as yours. Oh. We're aspiring to get to that level. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. Bye.